Hello and welcome to another episode of Charles Weekly Partee. I'm Charles, your host, and before we get started with what's going to be a very interesting type of day, let's roll the intro. All right, so opening up today, it, I think it's key that I note out it's, it's been an interesting week. And this time around, we are going to have a more normal um, episode in the sense of we're talking about both technology and architecture again. And um, I've mentioned that thing that the end of the season is going to be a little bit dynamic. So um, we're looking at a couple more um, sort of normal episodes after this, and then we'll have two special episodes before the season finale. And the season finale is going to be, for lack of better words, just an interesting little bit of a time. Now, over the next couple or next couple of episodes, I'd like to mention that there is a chance that they will be audio only. This is because for Thanksgiving, I do plan on uh, doing a little bit of traveling. So because of that, I'm anticipating that I could be put into a possibility where I won't be able to actually get a good um, video uh, set up. So for all intents and purposes, there may there is a chance that that may those two episodes may be done audio only. So we'll have to see how things play out. Obviously, that might work out, that might not work out, but we do have to see where the road takes us. And for this episode, I'm going to be looking at uh, one piece of architecture that really caught my eye, as well as um, several tech topics that really came to my attention just just because it's been one, one of those weeks where one thing pops up, another thing pops up, and then something big decided to happen, which would be the first thing I talk about when I get to the technology section. Now, with architecture, I, I know sometimes I say it in such a way that it's you have to eat your architecture vegetables before you can get to your technology dessert, but that's not the way it's intended. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely because you are interested in both architecture or technology, or you're interested in one or the other, but you really, you'd really like to get to know the other a little bit. So part of the goal of the podcast is to do just that. And my general practice has been doing the architecture section first, and than doing technology, so that's going to be the way we play it. Architecture-wise, I picked out the Cadillac House to talk about today, and that's designed by Gensler and located in Pudoxing, uh, China. Excuse me, Pudoxing, China. What caught my eye about this particular piece of architecture is the distinct shape that it has. That was, that was the key part for me that grabbed my attention and 
rightly so, because you think, or when I'm saying Cadillac house, I'm not talking about a house that people live in. I'm talking about a home for bits and pieces of um, Cadillac's history, and it's a showcase area. So that, I guess that's why they decided to call it a house, but it is not a house that people uh, live in. So it's a, it's a commercial facility, not a residential one. I think that's the first thing I should note out. But in addition to its distinct shape, it has three levels with a past, present, and future theme, except not in that order. The present theme is on the first floor, the future theme is on the second floor, and the past theme is on the third floor. Now, I should note out that the spiral staircase that connects these three floors has a pretty large opening. It's not one of those spiral staircases that you'd use to get to the top of a um, small little tower or something where you have um, steps very tightly woven in basically the less than the space that's on the table sitting in front of me, but rather a wide staircase with a center opening large enough to have an antique Cadillac in the center. I think that's actually pretty cool. So other things about it that have caught my attention are the use of natural lighting, the surrounding water pool, which um, if you look at pictures, you'll see that there aren't railings around the walkways, and that's because the water pool is actually very shallow. And while we're on that, while we're on that topic, um, I think the part of the exterior theme going on is the use of reflections because the exterior material sort of reflects light, um, not, or not as much, or not as badly as some other examples of architecture that have had big problems with blinding light but rather having enough reflection to know that it's a reflective type of material. And the water provides reflections of the visuals that you get from looking at the, from looking at the building. So especially at night, you'll see all of the light there create a natural sort of reflection, which is actually quite beautiful. But with it being as shallow as it is, as I probably mentioned already, there aren't railings, which thinking about it, it, it was a little bit disconcerting. It's like, wait a sec, there's water to my left and to my right. I just have to walk along. That's when you really hope that that walkway is not slippery because even though it is shallow, um, falling into any type of water pool can be, can make for a bad day. Although I'm sure if it gets cold enough, I haven't looked up the, uh, weather patterns in Pudongxing, but if it gets cold enough, that'd be a fun little ice skating rink. Finishing up the list of features that really uh, caught my eye, having a material cave where you can look, touch, you can see, touch, feel, and fully experience the materials that go into Cadillacs 
through a cave-like environment, which it may sound dark and spooky, but it's actually quite nice. You get to imagine getting to see a bunch of the uh, materials that go into making the car surrounding you, and you can they're in intermittent. You can you can see you can touch, and you can see how the light interacts with it, and I think that's actually quite beautiful, and it brings a materiality perspective in of looking at just how the whole facility sort of works to bring it, or bring everything together. It's not just, oh, this is a Cadillac house. This, this is Cadillac house. Okay, you, can, you can see, feel, or you can fully experience the materials in ways other than just on a car. And it can let you see how different materials react. So if you are interested in getting one, you'll be able to maybe have your favorite materials and finishes picked out. Another piece that um, I should note out with the first level, having both a lounge with what I think is a VR area in it, also having a cafe sort of makes the first level, the entry environment to be able to experience um, everything that the place has to offer. It's your hospitality area, getting you warmed up to the idea that this might be a fun place to be. Also on the first floor, the arena theater and the arena gallery to let you see the latest and greatest in um, Cadillac's work. The second floor has a couple of other interesting areas. You have That's where the material cave is located um, that I that I, I still can't believe I'm seeing it. This wasn't all the way at the other end of the world. I'd love to go and view it. Um, the actual VR area, now that, now that I'm looking at it, I remember seeing a picture of the VR spot, but that is actually on the second level, along with the soundscape, custom 3D printing, and a flexible gallery area. Also worth noting out is the digital forest and the badge wall. And going back to the sort of uh, themes that we mentioned earlier, I think this properly accounts for everything that you could expect out of a futuristic area. I know when we think of futuristic, we're thinking of virtual reality. I know last week I mentioned with the metaverse Having other environments you can be in and experience without leaving, to be within reality but outside of reality, I think is cool futuristic experience and I think is something that's going to become a lot more common and a lot quickly, or very quickly, I should say. And custom 3D printing. It's, as 3D printing gets more and more advanced, I think that's going to be a very very special area. I mean, I've seen chain links that are 3D printed that are able to hold the weight of a car and they're actually, um, they're actually so light you can toss it between one hand and another without really noticing too much of the weight. And that's, that's incredible to think about. And last but not least, the third floor has the sort of VIP areas with the boardroom, gallery, and the lounge. 
and I think it goes without saying that um, most of the executive areas of facilities are located on the top floor, but also looking at the top floor also really allows you to sort of appreciate one of the other techniques that's used. The VIP boardroom is adjacent to a car elevator to be able, obviously if you have a vehicle on the second floor, you have to be able to switch that out somehow. But having the boardroom connected to that, you can get to see, touch, and work with the latest model without ever leaving the boardroom. So it, go, it goes without saying, with this being the sort of past theme, you have a boardroom, a lounge, and a gallery, things you'd normally expect. You have a couple of other spaces in which to gather around. And all, all of the spaces are what we'd consider the classic spaces that we'd expect out of um, something, a company like Cadillac, having boardroom, gallery, lounge. But ha having all, having the I guess most important functions at the top um, is self-explanatory in some sense of having having the most having the things that happen at the top of the food chain happen at the top of the building, which all things considered sort of makes sense, and it it's classic, but that that's that's what sort of gives it that past theme in a modern building. I guess all, all put together, the Cadillac house really just takes a modern approach to showcasing modern vehicles, which is, realistically speaking, a necessity in today's day and age. Now, one of the things that I want to finish up with on the Cadillac house is that Taking modern approach, taking modern approaches to the past and how it's displayed are not bad ideas, and I think that actually offers more possibilities in what we can do and how we can do to properly represent the past because the past is how we get to the present and the present is how we get to the future, and capturing that with an architectural decision is perfectly embodied with the Cadillac house. And that that's just that's just something that makes me really admire and really like it. Now, I mentioned how much I like the Cadillac house. But something came up this week that I really dislike. And that happens to be YouTube's decision to remove dislike counters across its platform. For those of you who haven't seen the absolute media blow up of YouTube's decision to remove dislike counters, basically what ended up happening is this past week on the 10th of November, if I can pull up the blog post, um, 10th of November, yes, YouTube, decided to remove the dislike count across YouTube. And when I say remove, I remove the public dislike count. 
What that means is if you click dislike, it will be registered. The creator will be able to see how many um, people click the dislike button, but the public would not be able to see it. And in a slightly ironic twist, the YouTube video that YouTube released on it has maybe, um, it's either 13 or 30,000 um, likes and over 100,000 dislikes. And that tells me um, that a lot of people were not thrilled with the video for one reason or another, and the particular reason in this case happens to be because of the decision that YouTube made. And they did release quite a few justifications for doing so. Um, long story short, there's this practice called dislike bombing. And what that practice does is it takes dislikes that people get and or it takes the fact that you can see the amount of dislikes that someone has and people may say, okay, we don't like this creator or something that they stand for. Let's um, dislike the heck out of their video. And so people will do this and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone has an exponential number of dislikes and that can cause massive problems because if a lot of people dislike something, then is, why is it disliked? And especially if you're at a smaller scale, which happens more frequently on a smaller creator scale than a larger creator scale, then that could negatively impact their future, how many people are seeing their video recommendations. So where am I going with all of this? Well, before I get to my thoughts and the other problems, I'm, I'm gonna need to play devil's advocate a little bit longer. Because of the, that dislike bombing is a form of harassment. So maybe someone releases a video where they talk about something that's a little bit more personal to them. So there are plenty of examples, but doing something that could be seen as controversial, but um, slightly personal in nature, if a lot of people dislike it, they can um, gather together in some toxic area of the internet say, hey, we don't like this person because they've made this decision. And all of a sudden, now someone has a lot of dislikes on what could be a very, um, a very sensitive topic for a person. So if someone decides to reveal detail of their personal life that they're sensitive about, and then all of a sudden they get a dislike storm, that might, that might not feel too great. So doing this, this move, according to YouTube, is supposed to make it safer for people to express themselves. And they've noted out that, I guess, some platforms don't have a dislike button, which is, um, which is true. I know of a couple of them that don't have a button you can press to say, I don't like this. And the defense on it is that for the creator's sake, they'll be able to see the dislike count to be able to self-analyze their content. But then there are problems. So the like to dislike ratio 
if this move is fully implemented, which YouTube said it would be, but I'm not quite seeing, so they may have hit the pause button on that. Um, pun not initially intended. But having the like to dislike ratio won't exist. And most, most people watch YouTube videos for a purpose. We'll take a quick note of the like to dislike ratio. I myself am guilty of it. So what that like to dislike ratio is, is looking at the number of likes and looking at the number of dislikes to determine how much or how much value a video could have to me. If I'm looking up a tutorial, I might note out if there's 35 likes, but 700 dislikes, I think the tutorial might not be as useful for what I need. Or someone may have made a pretty big mistake and people in the comment section have pointed it out. So in that case, if I'm looking at a tutorial, I might either not watch that video or look down the comment section to see what happened. Because if the comment section says um, everything, your comments have a theme of everything was done wrong, don't do this, you will cause yourself massive problems, you'll break stuff, all that fun. That tells me pretty quickly that no, I should not be watching that video. But if the comments are all, it was, it was all right until this point, and they say maybe five minutes and seven seconds into the video, hey, he, was, he turned that left instead of turning that right. Or someone might say at um, the 12 minute mark, uh, someone didn't know what she was doing and um, pressed button three instead of button six. But what that tells me is the rest of the video is actually good. If I can find that recurring theme of comments that say, here are the two mess ups, now I know that the tutorial itself has used to it. I just need to be attentive at those two points to not go and make that or make the same mistakes so that I don't have any problems. The other problem is that dislikes are, realistically speaking, less toxic than uh, some comments. So I've had to deal with this actually with the Weekly Party channel pretty quickly in the sense of there are commenters, there are people who go around trying to find all the videos on YouTube and placing comments that say basically uh, that are basically spam. Um, here, here's a link to, to some fun pics. And in case you do not know cybersecurity, please don't click the links. All right. Someone posts a random link to a random website. Don't follow it. Obviously, if you are um, if you have the technical knowledge to be able to tell if someone's leading you to a valid website, like the 
a legitimate creator with a legitimate sponsor will put a link in their description so you can go to their sponsor's website and that helps them out. And if you're interested in the sponsor, that helps you out because now you can get to the sponsor pretty quickly and get special discounts. But that also helps the creator because the fact that the company sees, hey, X amount of people use that link, we're getting advertising from that. And that helps them value how good their advertising is. But I mentioned the comment section before. Dislikes are substantially less toxic than some of the comments that you get. I mentioned the spam con or comments. And the problem that that poses is that there are people who can say, hey, don't click on this. And for larger creators, you'll have whole uh, spam comments who usually get buried pretty quickly and you'll be able to tell which ones are spam. But that became a very big problem very quickly for me. Someone would post comments with a link to what I could presume would not be a great website for me to visit on my computer. And looking at that, I managed I made sure to remove the comment pretty quickly so that nobody could accidentally click on it. But it was kind of painful that I had to take this take the step quickly to make sure that uh, something didn't become a big problem. And I think YouTube could have spent quality development time on that instead of this, because let, let's face it, this isn't the solution. And having extraordinarily toxic comments, let's say 10% um, of the comments that you get are not helpful. If you get 10 comments, that means oh, one comment doesn't do you a lot of good. But if you get million comments, that means you have 100,000 comments worth of stuff that you really don't want, don't want to see and stuff that affects different, different people on different levels. Some people might be able to handle comments pretty well. They'd say, okay, you don't like me. Uh, I don't like you either. Have a nice day. Other people might say, oh, they don't like me. That's not good. And there, there is some, there is some um, degree of, there's some degree of needing to pay attention to metrics of, um, what do you call it, paying attention to what people do and don't like content-wise. But there's also good and bad ways of doing it. So the like and dislike count, that can tell a creator pretty quickly, hey, this, this wasn't as great or you should not have done this. And there are examples of videos that um, should not have been posted and probably not in a malicious intent. Someone wasn't thinking, what's the worst video that I could create to anger the most, the biggest number of people possible? The person just probably posted it without thinking about it and realized afterwards when you have one of those tons of dislikes to very little likes, Maybe that wasn't the best idea. But that's where the comment section can come in and help you. 
And when I, when I say help, I mean usually help because obviously there are going to be some people who say blank, blankety blank, 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 don't like this, blank, 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 blank. So having, having all that, I think there's a solution that needs to happen, but once again, this isn't it and this is nowhere near perfect. So, not having the ratio to tell you that, and also that could that can actually protect scammers in the sense of if someone realizes that someone's posting a scam piece on the or on YouTube, which happens very very frequently. I actually had to change um, commenting settings, I think, on the videos because there aren't. There aren't a lot of comments, and the only comments I was actually getting on the YouTube videos were spam. I had to just completely change the settings, and I think that should be where you—that's where YouTube should be focusing their efforts. I, I would be much happier with a decent like to dislike ratio than having to. If I have a whole bunch of dislikes, that tells me something, right? That tells me that whatever I've done as a creator on an episode didn't come out as well as I'd hoped. And that means in the future, I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't go and create content that ma perfectly matches that because that wasn't, that wasn't a great example of the content I could produce. And that's where ratings really help. So uh, they're leaving it there for the creators, but it's also beneficial to the community. But the biggest problem that they need to tackle is dislike bombing. So if someone does post something, maybe a um, personal life decision that they made and people aren't happy with that, they might go and uh, dislike bomb someone for it. I was looking at a few people's takes on this issue, and one of the things that sort of caught my attention was the possibility of making disliking a little bit of a chore. So instead of just saying, hey, I don't like this video, why don't you like this video? Which could actually be more useful. So having an X amount of question quiz, or question uh, survey that you have to go through would actually go and force people to be serious about a dislike. I know if I click a dislike button just to eh, click the dislike button, if I have to go through uh, 10 questions, um, having to go, go through each of them individually, people don't like answering a three question survey on websites. If you make them answer that 10 questions or maybe, maybe 15 questions, if someone has to go through 15 questions to dislike a video, that's going to make it a lot less likely for them to just dislike a video for the sake of disliking it. That'll make sure that whatever dislikes are there are genuine. And I'm not saying make people write out an essay just to dislike it because then obviously you're not gonna get any dislikes. But if you have to say, why, why didn't you like it? You have reasons or other, um, 
this, that, or the next thing. And people can use, creators could use that to say, okay, now we know why people aren't disliking it. And obviously the dislike button is not the same button that you'd use to report someone who posted something absolutely, uh, or that was an absolute violation of platform terms. But it is a problem, but it, need, it needs a different solution. So I guess one of the examples I had heard was you have a, you basically have a hammer with the dislike button. Now, with a hammer, you can you can use it to hit nails, or you can use it to hit other things. So, no matter what tool you have, it's there are always going to be good and bad uses for it. But just because there's a bad use for a tool doesn't mean that people should be prevented from using it. I can use a um, if I can use a, a key, the key that I can use a key that opens a front door to scratch up the side of someone's car. Is that what the key was designed for? No. Can I do it? Or can I use it to either open a door or open or scratch up uh, someone's? Uh, someone's extra large uh, investment? Yes, I can do both of those. Should I do both of those? No, I should only be using the key's intended purpose is to open the door, not to scratch up someone's car. But keys still exist. Even though you can do that, we still, we still have tools because the usefulness outweighs the risks. So what needs to happen here in YouTube's case, because it's, it's software, we're not talking about um, the massive, we're, we're talking about something that can be fixed in the way of so how software works. And there, there are plenty of solutions, right? I mentioned you have the chore, you could have something that recognizes that a lot of people are just popping in pressing the dislike and popping out. YouTube can take account of how much watch time there is. And what that watch time does is it really, it, if you say, hey, wait a second, a lot of people are just popping in, it, the video plays for three seconds and they're disliking it, it could recognize, you could use a computer algorithm to say, hey, this is a trend that's happening quickly having X amount of occurrences in a short period of time, say, hey, there's a problem, we need to fix it. Someone's getting dislike bombed, or, or very likely. And that's, that's when you can have a human look at it and say, okay, that person is getting dislike bombed and um, use the sort of entry thing, just categorizing the dislikes. Here's a dislike that happened if some, when someone watched the majority of the video, here's what happened, someone watched less than half the video, here's what happened when someone watched less than 10% of the video. And here's what happened when someone watched less than 10 seconds of the video. And say, okay, since a bunch of people, since 
90% of the dislikes are from people who watch less than 10% dislike it. Because if, if to make someone's life miserable, I need to watch their watch 15 minutes of their entire 30 minute video. Guess what? I'm not go I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm not going to go and say, "Huh, we got a problem here." So, it, it, there's a lot of food for thought, but there needs to be another approach because it's a useful Yes, the dislikes are a useful tool for creators, which are not taking away, but they're also a useful tool for consumers, which is what's being proposed to be taken away. And there are better ways of doing it. YouTube just needs to find the best way. Moving along from that, a um, couple of things that did catch my eye Otherwise, Nintendo's next console could come out sometime in the next 79 years. Because Nintendo said that their next console would launch, launch in the year 20XX. Now, on first glance, that sounds like, okay, they're giving themselves until the year 2100. So this could be the Nintendo 2099. But um, thankfully, someone else who has a little bit more history knowledge of video games than I do pointed out that it is um, highly likely to be a Mega Man reference because the Mega Man intro sequence lists in the year of 200X. Having that, having that sort of reference you made it sort of funny, but without knowing that reference, it's quick. It's very easy to think, okay, this is this is coming out sometime this century, hopefully. Although with the way shortages are going now, not going to be. It wouldn't be terribly surprising if it didn't happen for the next twenty years. But look on the bright side. Nintendo's at least made sure that if it does come out twenty years from now, they prepared us for it. My thoughts on it are that we'll have to see how things go. Um, there are good reasons to wait on producing um, much more in the way of fun, new, innovative things because everything is on shortage. And getting everything's on shortage backlog. I think we need to focus on working with what we've got before working with what we don't have. But that, that's, just, that's just little um mental notes for me another thing that really really made me pretty happy this week is amd's new chips are just epic and yes that pun was intended so their epic lineup which is their high-powered processor lineup for servers have advanced a bit and now they have their new Milan X um, set out. 
So with the Milan X, you can get up to 64 cores or 128 threads. Um, they're designed for server use, so these aren't going to be going into your average uh, gaming rig. These are going. These are designed to be put into a server rack. With Milan X, they have tripled. Or they being AMD has tripled the level three cache to around or to over 700 megabytes. And what's really special about that is it'll make um, processing all that much faster because you'll be able to get, the more you have queued up for the processor, the better it's able to work with. So if you're powering a processor fully, it's best if you have, if you're saying, here, here's, here's the your to-do list. And I can say, okay, check this, check this, check this, check this, and keep going, th keep going through. And the cache means that you're not wasting time having it say, okay, I'm ready for more stuff. Where is it? So the more cache you have, and if it cranks through it faster than otherwise expected, that means it's just able to get through even more and be more efficient and do everything faster. What? It's, it's something that caught my eye. Obviously, it's not something I'm going to be getting because I don't have a um, server rack that I have for computing and all that jazz. But for the right, for the right people, this would be a very useful tool. Lastly, on the CPU thread, pun also intended, there's a new cryptocurrency called Octorium that is posing a very, very big threat to CPU supply. Because this new cryptocurrency can be mined relatively profitably with um, AMD Ryzen 9s because of the high level three cache. And while some people may say, hey, that's a great way for me to make a couple of bucks off of my uh, gaming machine when I'm, not do when I'm not doing anything else, for some people it's, okay, here's a way I can make a few extra dollars. For other people, it's, here's a way for me to Make some make some money. This is my chance to make it big without doing any work, and so people like these get tons and tons of CPUs to be able to try and mine these more effectively. So the big problem is if this does become a profitable venture, people are going to start eating up. CPUs just like they've been doing with GPUs for the last couple of years. And I think we need, there needs to be a broader shift with um, cryptocurrencies because I mentioned Ethereum is supposed to be switching so that it's not profit, it's not profitable to mine and it's not proof of work, it's proof of stake, making it so that you aren't benefiting from hogging the global supply of GPUs. And I think 
Raptorium needs to make a pretty quick cutoff before this becomes a problem instead of after it. Because right now, right now it's easy enough to say, okay, we're gonna we're going to switch this around so that it's not going to make um, make CPU mining the next big thing. But we'll, we'll have to see how that pans out. I honestly don't know how it's going to go. But if CPUs go on short supply, that it will make life just that much harder. When I said um, CPUs being hard to find, this is specifically a Ryzen benefit. So on the bright side, you'll be able to use those new Alder Lake CPUs for something. So Intel may actually have customers because they'll be the only processors you can get. But I need, I think now it's time to process the fact that this episode has, um, reached its end. So I do hope you've enjoyed it. I know it's been it's been an up and down. Talking about the Cadillac house is fun. The YouTube dislike things just really drove me up a wall. And CPUs are always exciting. But crypto needs to do better, making sure that they're not causing global problems with components because we have enough of those going on right now. We don't need more. My party for the week is just to be cognizant of the side effects of your actions. So realize that we don't all function in a um, sandbox. The decisions we make today do have effect and not just on us. So that's, that's my party for the week. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. I know there's not a lot left to the season, but I promise you it'll be worthwhile. And I've mentioned that there is something that will be happening after the season so that you all aren't bored. But if you go to anchor.fm slash charlesweeklyparty, you'll be able to listen to all previous episodes and find some interesting er, find interesting ones look at the episode where i talked about the ethereum issues and about there i remember my first episode i talked about the gpu problems so feel free to check that out you can also interact with the podcast by leaving a voice message did you enjoy the episode feedback thoughts comments all that all that good stuff and you can also support the podcast, which helps immensely. It makes the experience better for you guys. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to leave a review. And you can see the action on YouTube, although next couple of episodes, that may or may not be the case because of my Thanksgiving plans. Um, also, in conclusion... Um, I do want to acknowledge that this past week was Veterans Day, and for all of the or all veterans, um, thank you very much for your service. It's only it's thanks to the veterans that I'm able to sit here right now and record this podcast. So thank you very much for your service, and I think it goes without saying that we are all in a great debt to you. So, 
with that being said, take care, enjoy your week, thank a veteran. That's that's gonna be, that has to be another part of my part two for the week. Thank a veteran. They do a lot. You see, if you see someone, you notice that they are a veteran, thank them because they've they they've done a lot for us. So, take care. Roll the outro.